Hello, everyone. This is episode 86 of the Craft Sanity Podcast, and I am really excited to bring you a conversation this week with a woman that I'm actually going to get to meet on Tuesday. Sharon Chamber, a master quilter, is headed to West Michigan. The quilters here in town have been waiting over two years for this. There's a group from the West Michigan Quilters Guild down in Paducah, where they have, of course, a huge show, huge quilt show every year, and they saw... Sharon's work and thought, wow, we got to get this woman to come and lecture to our guild. They've been waiting patiently for a long time and kind of watching Sharon rack up more and more awards. And just recently, she was recognized by the National Quilting Association as a master. She received her master award. So she is a master quilter and has actually a background in couture sewing. She was a dress designer before she became a quilter and has actually only been quilting about 10 years. There's some links from craftsanity.com to Sharon's work. Uh, I'll have a couple photos of her quilts on my website as well. It's breathtaking. The, and she pours just the quilting portion alone. And for those of you don't, who don't quilt, that's the last, basically the last step before you, saw, you sew the binding on is when you're actually, you have your three pieces, your top pieced part of your quilt, your batting, and then your backing fabric and the part where you're stitching those three parts together is the quilting part. And she spends roughly 800 hours just on that last step, just on the quilting, which is just, I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. Even if you don't quilt, I think you're going to find Sharon's story very inspiring because when you boil it down, it doesn't really matter what the medium is that a person works in. The story of of our lives and, and, and the the way we keep putting one foot in front of another, no matter what happens, is really, I guess, what it's all about because we all have to find the thing we're good at. My craft column this week in Sunday's Grand Rapids Press, and it's also available online. I'll have a link from craftsanity.com. You can read Sharon's story. Now you're going to hear from Sharon. Where did you learn to quilt? I mean, were you always doing this as a child, or is this something you came into, got into Not, later in life? I, I didn't. Um start quilting. I started as, as a couture designer. And as a child, were you interested in sewing? Did you have someone in your family that taught you? You know, I was exposed to it from my aunt, and it was always in the family. Both my grandmothers actually were quilters, but as far as anybody formally training me, I would say not. Okay. So that's still true to this day? You've never had any kind of classes or anything? It's just kind of been your own trial and error? I've actually um, taken a couple of classes, and that was early on in the quilting, and that was it. That's all I've ever done. So how many years did you spend designing clothes? About 18 years. And and what got you into that? Did you study that in college? No, I didn't go to college. How did you learn to make clothes? You just did this on your own as well? Yes. Wow, my goodness. A natural, natural, totally natural talent. That's wonderful. So, <laughs> yeah. so how did that work? So, you um, just take me to the beginning of your clothing design. Um, well, I started. We were actually very poor as, as you know when I was growing up, and so the only way that I could get clothes is to make my own. But I was so fascinated with the engineering that um, I would actually go buy clothing at like the Salvation Army, and at the time it was in. I don't know, the 60s. At the time, Coco Chanel kind of uh, clothing was in the Goodwill stores. 
and I got a hold of this orange, incredible tailored suit, and I tore it apart and remade it wrong side out. And from that point on, I really understood how construction. Oh, well, and how old how old were you when you did that? I was eleven. Oh my goodness, eleven! Wow. What were your friends doing while you're re-engineering a tailored suit? Um, <laughs> what were your friends doing? I, 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 you know, I was so fascinated with all of the um, sewing. You know, I had a friend here and there, but it was it took all my time. So oh, so you just that's what you did. You you were sewing yeah, all that's the time. What I did. So where did you get your fabric? Did you go to you know take apart just take apart clothes, or did you actually go and try to find? Yeah. Well, I took apart clothes, and you know, I I would babysit for fabric, or I would work in fabric stores when I got a little bit older and buy fabric that way. Those are great ways. Babysitting for fabric. You know, I did a lot of babysitting. I never thought to do that. But that would have been a great idea. That's wonderful. So you would babysit for fabric and um, then go home and make something with it right away? Uh, Yeah, I I had had a stash. It was, you know, just normal kind of similar to what I do now. You know, I just, and I was really good at the babysitting thing. So I always got a lot of fabric from that. Oh, that's awesome. Did they throw some cash in, too, or was it all fabric? Um, oh, there was cash, too. Okay, because I was going to say. I've always made a living. Yeah. <laughs> so were you, were you selling your clothes that you were making when you at that young age, or were you selling, were other people your age want to buy stuff from you, or what were you doing? Um, I would sell for other people, but not very much. I, I was really busy babysitting to get the money for my own clothing, so I didn't really need to sell what I made. Okay. At all. And it so sounds like you just, wanted to wear it. Did you just wear the clothes you made? Uh, well, I had a really quite large family, and so I would make clothing for my family also. Wow. So you said you're one of eight children, and you would do the sewing for the family, so you're making clothes for your siblings. Where in the lineup did you come in? I'm third. Did you live in Arizona as a child? Well, I grew up in Arizona, but here and there, my dad is an architect, so he would travel wherever construction was. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here and there, we would be, you know, up and down the West Coast. So at the time that I actually did the the um, remaking of that suit, we were in um, the Seattle area. Okay. Well, the beauty of sewing is, for the most part, um, since you weren't doing long arm quilting at the time, you could just back up a sewing machine in your fabric and be on your yeah. way. You know, you didn't need a whole lot of space. And um, did you do hand sewing as well, or is it mostly machine? Oh, all of the above. I was really fascinated with the sewing machines, but the thing with sewing machines that that I, I very quickly took care of is that my parents would ground my sewing machine when whenever I would do something that they felt was incorrect. So I really quickly bought my own sewing machine. So they couldn't do that kind of, you know, they had no leverage on that. So I was so fascinated with sewing machines that I would take them apart and remake them. And so we would buy just old junkers and I would make them work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. So I I loved the sewing process so much that I had to make the machines. How old were you when you were taking apart sewing machines? I actually, um, I would say probably the same age. So 11, yeah. you started doing, and now did you start with hand sewing, like before you, or did you take right to the machine and just start going? You know, it was both together. Okay. Yeah, so I can do both very well. I don't have a problem. Um, other than, you know, I've, I've actually um, 
with age, my hands shake a little bit, and that's the only issue that I have with the hand sewing. Okay, so you prefer to work with the machine? I love sewing machines. Yeah. It's a, kind of a um, you know meditation for me, that sound. How many sewing machines do you have? Oh, God bless me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at right now six. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six. And and I've I've actually got a lot more than that, but they're all at families and you know that kind of a thing. Oh, I see. Okay. So, and is that including um, how many of those are long arm? I machines? have two long arm, and then I have one that is is what they call a mid arm. Okay. So you're covered. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I can't run them. You know, I can only run one at a time. I know. If you could clone yourself, just imagine how many more times you could win yeah. Paducah, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Well, so so you're as a child, you, I mean, you, you figured out how to rebuild machines and how to rebuild uh-huh. clothing. And then it sounds like you just kept at it. So um, through, you know, was this, did you work, uh, besides working at fabric stores, I mean, at what point did you start um, making a living off the clothing design? Um, I actually worked at fabric stores until I was, I would say, 17, so okay. it wasn't very long, and I got married at 18, um, no, actually 20, I'm sorry, so there was some college college kind of dabbling, um, which I had a terrible time with, so I didn't stay there, and then um, I started the company when I was right at 20, just a little bit after I uh, got married. And what did you call your company? It was Deja Vu Design. Okay. And at the, at the time, what types of designs were you making? Uh, bridesmaids and bridal. Okay. It was all, okay. And that, well, that's, wow, that, that's some serious stuff because I, I don't know, I don't know if I could handle an angry bride <laughs> if something went awry. <laughs> you know, I've, I've never had a problem with any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've ever, ever, ever. You know, I've always been able to pretty much, uh, people just believed in my ability, and, and I didn't have too much of a problem with that at all. Did you make your own wedding dress? I did. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that must have been cool. Yeah. Um, no? You don't think so? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so you got better after you made your own. Yeah, it's really hard to fit yourself. That's it's true. Very, That's, it's, yeah, it's, I didn't think fun. about that. That would be yeah. um, kind of a nightmare, it's, actually. It, it, yeah, that it, it was pretty bad. Yeah, so you picked yourself. <laughs> the dress was nice, but the, you know. So it was kind of rocky getting to the point of the fitting. Yeah, I can imagine all the pins and so forth. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it wasn't fun. <laughs> so you so you were doing the you know custom wedding uh, uh-huh. dresses and bridesmaid dresses, and how long did you do that? Eighteen years. So uh, for eighteen years, uh-huh. and what what led you to make the jump to quilting? It had always been there. So you were um, not that I had done it, but it was always in the back of my mind that that's what I wanted to do. I actually made a choice that I either wanted to be a quilter or an artist, and I didn't know that you could do the two together. I had no idea. Um, but I married my husband, my second marriage, and I told him that that I never wanted to work again, which didn't really happen. But um, <laughs> and I said I want to be an artist or a quilter, and in his mind it was just you know I'm just playing little old lady kind of thing, and it was not going to be any big deal. But in my mind it was a really big deal, and so when I started, the quilts just took off. Um, you know I I won awards like the first year and a half out, 
So. so it sounds like you didn't do a lot of people when they get into quilting, they'll go to the quilt store and they'll ask someone there to help them find a pattern and some fabric and you match everything up, you know, and follow the pattern exactly and all that. It sounds like you I'm imagining that you never you never did that. You just grabbed fabric and started working, designing your own designs from the beginning. Right. Is that is that That's pretty that's pretty true. Yeah. I have <laughs> dyslexia, so reading a pattern just wasn't gonna work for me. Okay. So for you that was so you you're to go it on your own and figure out your own design was just really um, yeah. the way to go. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, and is that why you had trouble in college? You think? I know it was. It yeah. was it was undiagnosed at that. Oh point. Oh my goodness! So how at what point in your life did you realize? I mean, were you diagnosed with dyslexia? Oh well, not until I was in my forties was I diagnosed. But I pretty much was aware of it when my second child, Neil. Um, he says he doesn't have it, but I can sure see it in him. And the um, in the school system, he was actually diagnosed as having some form of, you know, reading issue. How did you get through it all the way to your 40s? You know, I was so into the sewing and so into the art that they wouldn't have picked it up anyway. Because okay. I just did what I had to do to get through school. And I would study and not sleep at all, you know, two or three hours a night. And I would get through school with straight A's. I graduated with honors. So they had no reason to even um, suspect that there was an issue. Oh, but wow. they didn't know that I was, <laughs> I was studying so hard that I couldn't even sleep. So, so how did you, um, how did you, so you would have to study that much harder to get the grades you yes. did. But like yes. when you look at a page, um, you know, in a textbook or something, what do you see? Uh-huh compared to a person that doesn't have dyslexia? Um, it's, it's just jumbled. It's, it's really jumbled. I have to really focus. Um, I, I actually would take a textbook and, and underline it as I read it. And okay. that would help me to focus. To kind of keep your focus the whole way through. Yeah. And so that would take a, that's why it took so long then, because you're going basically line by line. Well, it was not only line by line. It was I would take and rewrite the whole chapter. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Two or three times so that I could get it locked in. Yeah. Wow. And do, so you're... Everything's so visual for yeah. me. Okay. So if you would commit it to memory that way by writing it and looking at it. Wow. wow. And so, and you were able to, to get through and know it without, but you didn't have the help of them. You know, now they have resources for students. No, I, I had none of that. Yeah. And, and I, um, later in life, I found that if I could get... Um, someone to read it to me, I could assimilate it really quickly. So now I do books on tape. Okay. And and it's immediate assimilation with that. It's just there's some sort of disconnect. And I think it's just because I'm so creative. Yeah. I, I'm so far into the right side of the brain that the left has no control at all. Well, do you think that while, um, you know, a lot of people would consider, you know, dyslexia, you know, that a disadvantage, do you think that in some roundabout crazy way it might have... Um, might actually contribute to the fact that you're so good at some of the other things you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I over and over again, just am very grateful for, for the opportunity of learning to ha- work around that. Also, it has given me the discipline that most people wouldn't have and the determination and the focus. Right, because you, I mean, just to get through school, you work so much harder. Yeah, right, right. and there are students who don't crack a book. So when you got to the point for your quilting... You know, this was um, something that, at that point, were you diagnosed at that point with that dyslexia, or were you still? I actually, uh, there was about maybe four to five years in between the um, 
the clothing manufacturing and the quilting that I was going for job interviews and, and it was pointed out to me very, very quickly that there was an issue. Oh, and, point, oh, people you were interviewing with would point it out? Or? Yes, and I would fill, try to fill out applications. One of the reasons why I even started my own business is I couldn't fill out a job application. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that silly? Well, anyway. I, I don't think it's silly. I think it's incredibly resourceful and brave to do that. I mean, it, yeah, my goodness. So, I mean, wow. wow. No, I think I think it's, um, I mean, just think. I mean, if you were able to fill out the job you know, application, you might uh-huh. be the manager of a fabric store now or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, not, yeah, not is, knowing true. what you're doing. I mean, it's great what, what you've been able to do. And I think, um, well, one, I'm glad that you, that you talk about this too, because I think that there are a lot of people out there that might have some physical limitation or, you know, uh-huh. um, you know, or maybe they're dyslexic too. And I think a lot of times, um, society really still in this day and age when there's better resources for all these things still, Society kind of responds to people sometimes is, is pointing out the limitations and not Absolutely. doing a whole lot to push people up over the, that wall or help walk them around the side and say, okay, you know what, this is something, this is a challenge before you, but you can get around it. And I think that people like you are so inspiring because you're incredibly talented and and just to see, I mean, and for people to hear that, okay, she's had to overcome this huge major thing. Because um, a lot of you know, a lot of people take it for granted. They want to get another job. They apply. You know, you fill out the application, drop it off, and don't give it a second thought. But to have to actually stress out over that part <laughs> of it, I mean, that's 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 really, I mean, you know, that's really something. And a lot of us don't even think about that. But I think it's so wonderful that you are, you know, out there and it's just so incredibly successful at what you're doing. And didn't see that as a, a limiting factor. And how do you think you stayed? So, I mean, did, did you ever think about okay, this is really limiting my life, or did you just pursue full steam with what you could do? You know, I never felt limited in any way with anything. That's great. Honestly. Now, even when I had children, um, I think the only limitation that I ever felt was that I would get tired. You know, that was, I just don't feel that there's a limit. I, I feel that there's time invested, of course, but there's no limit. If you put a limit on yourself, then then that's the limit, which is self-imposed, so it can be taken away just as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I've never really felt limited at all. So it sounds like you were working on this, you were doing the couture business all the way up until was the, the turning point was when you got remarried, and that's when you decided, okay. No. No? Okay. Basically, the business just didn't survive a divorce. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so you made a change at that point. And, and... Well, part of the dyslexia is that I couldn't do books correctly. Oh, no. And oh, so we had a bookkeeper in the business that basically took everything. So part of the what made the company so wet and so good is also what also made it bad. You know, um, so I don't, I, you know, I learned so much from that. I don't have that kind of issue to this day because I know how to deal with it now but it it just didn't survive and I was destined to do something else well it sounds like it and that's the thing a lot of people you know we always think oh well if something doesn't carry us through you know we get a job and we think it's going to be the thing we do forever and when something happens and we don't um I think we're all there's a place we're all headed you know we all have this I really believe that we're all you know have this thing we're destined to do and that's going to happen no matter what path you take um I kind of I believe that um I don't know if you believe (laughs) I'm not going to put words in your mouth here but um, no absolutely I, I believe that I don't know if you've watched that that 
show, The Secret. You know, I have heard so much about that. I need to really yeah. get educated on that because I've heard everybody say that this is just, you know, I've heard it well, that, buzz all over. Well, that's how I've lived my life ever since I was a kid. And it was amazing when that, that you know, and it's much more in-depth than actually that is. That's really, like, first step. But um, it just it tells you there's no limits, and it explains how the universe works and how you can make things work for you as opposed to against you. And it's just a, it's a, a level of just being positive and grateful for everything. Well, and I've always, I've always tried to do my best to be that way. Well, and I think that makes a huge difference because if you approach it the does. world by projecting a good and positive attitude, that comes yeah. back to you. You know, where people that are have a scowl every day and then they wonder why people don't <laughs> respond really well to them. It's like, well, you're kind of angry, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I th- so so it sounds like your, your positive attitude has really kept you, kept the, the momentum going. Yeah. yeah. The or, determination is huge. So when you started your, your, your current business and you have, um, the, what is it, the name you work under now? Just, it's just Sharon Shamber, Shamber Quilt. Okay. It's just. Pretty, pretty straightforward. People know who they're yep. dealing with, right? Yep. <laughs> so you said you learned from your first, um, the first business and with the book community and all that. Now, do you do your own or do you have somebody, does your husband help you with that or how did you work the out business, that? business, you mean? Yeah, your business, yeah. Yeah, he, he actually runs the business part of it. I okay. did research and development. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so your research and development and the actual right. quilt making. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds like a great partnership. It, yeah. Yeah. It's really, it, we're one of a kind. He's just a little more testosterone than I have, but you know, he's 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 just as driven as I am. And yeah. so, how long have you been in in this uh, quilt business now? Ten years. Ten years. Well, congratulations. Yeah, about ten and a half, I think. Wow, that's awesome. And so, when you t- you said when you told him that you wanted to make some quilts, uh, get into quilting a little bit, he's thinking that this is going to be some small time hobby thing. You, right. on the other hand, are thinking right away, no, this is going to be serious business here. Um, yeah. And at what point did he kind of realize, like, oh, she's really serious about this? Was it right away? I mean, because it sounds like you said within a year and a half you were winning awards. and I think the first time he really took it serious is the first award. Okay, and what was your first award? Well, I, I won a few local things, but there was a, it was called Bordering on Brilliance, and it was a Jenny Byer competition okay that i won best in show on very cool and so that's when he was like okay this is this is serious yeah well the first inkling that i could compete he's very competitive so he really got into that (laughs) (laughs) so so then the interest level goes up yeah yeah that's cool but then you know I, i i'm competitive with myself not so much everybody else but um when that happened, and then the first appraisal came back on one of my quilts, he, he, the lights just went on. And what was it the first hit. appraisal? And well, you know, it was it was maybe four thousand, and this was ten years ago, right. so it's, it's a lot different now. I don't know what that would add up to now, but anyway, um, he realized that there was something really, really serious going on. And I shouldn't say serious in a bad way, but it was definitely... Well, yeah, it was not something that was just a... Yeah, it wasn't just a hobby. I'll quilt sometimes, kind of, when I feel like it... It sounds like you felt like you had to at that point. It was, it, yeah, it was such a driving force for me that I would even forget to eat. You know, I... I it was it was just all-consuming. All and just about, I would say, 
two and a half, three years ago, it got so big that he had to retire. Wow. And what was he doing at the time? He was a mine superintendent for okay. phosphate mine. So okay. he, he, was a, he was actually a business manager. So he was doing he was doing two things, and he was handling, uh, running the business yeah. for you, and then also working a day job. Okay. Right. And so, yeah, that that would get tiring to do both. Yeah. So yeah. you really convinced him that this is, you're serious, because... <laughs> I, ne- I never, ever try to convince anybody of anything. Right. He came into it full force on his own. He was in, at the retirement age, and it gave him an option of moving from there to his own little business. Yeah. So. Well, that worked out wonderfully then. It, it did. And he is just, he's really a supporter of the, the industry, and he loves quilts, and he loves all the people that are involved, and they seem to love him. So, you know, it, it works out really well. Well, what was it like for you when you made the switch and you started? Um, do you remember the first quilt that you made? Um, oh, gosh, I do, sure. And what was that like? What was that quilt like? It was pretty simple. It was simple. Back then, I thought you had to do everything by hand, all hand quilted, so it took way longer than it should have. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it, it, my son still has it to this day, but... It was very, very simple, and I was very proud of it, and it, and it looked beautiful, you know. And But I knew, I knew that there was more, more coming, yeah. And then, so at what point did your designs get to be so intricate? Because, I mean, that's one of the things you're known for is these just completely ornate and gorgeous yeah. things that make people just, I mean, I, I've, I kept looking, and I click all the detail shots on the Internet, and I'm just like, no way. Like, seriously, I don't realize the section I was looking at was not a whole quilt. It was just a detail shot of a one section. But, I mean, it's uh-huh. so impressive. I mean, at what point did you start just taking it from a simple quilt to give your son to something that was just so ornate? It was so much going on. I mean. Yeah, it was right away. Um, I had to develop the techniques, you know, because I do such different things. Everything's so different than anybody else. And I had to work on the techniques. So as soon as the techniques, you know, were evolving, the quilts became more and more ornate. Because I have, I have production, you know, mass production kind of expertise in my blood. And once that, um, I had the techniques down, then doing something complicated, if you can imagine a bridal gown, a quilt's not much different as far as the complication. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they're very similar. In the high end that I did, it's almost the same amount of work. Now, the quilting, the actual machine quilting is a little more intense, but um, it was right away that I had the complicated, intricate pieces. And were you quilting your own quilts from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so did you invest in a long arm right away? No, no. Um, I I was doing such a great job on the on the just the regular machine that my husband just couldn't it just didn't connect that I would do better on the long arm. And it it actually took him. I've only had my long arm maybe four years now. Oh really? Okay, so for yeah. six years you were doing this on what kind of machine were you using to do your quilting? I had an um, an industrial Juki. Okay. Yeah. So an industrial one. So how did you get that? Was that well? Is that what you were using for your your uh, bridal gown business, or well, I use the same type of machine. Although at the point when um, I started to do quilting, I didn't have any of those machines anymore. Um, but 
part of the agreement for me to marry my husband was that I was going to get a sewing machine, and <laughs> that happened to be an industrial one. <laughs> That's so great. If you had a copy of the contract that you had him sign at the beginning of this marriage here, you might <laughs> want to... There might be yes. some other quilters that would be interested in uh, taking a look at that. That's a pretty good setup, you know. Yeah. yeah. So you had a, you, you had you were guaranteed going in. You were going to get a machine. So you, I was going to, and I didn't ever have to do housework again. Wow. <laughs> I really like this arrangement. Well, now that doesn't mean I don't do it. It just means I don't have to. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's optional. You see the difference? It's and I don't optional. do it at all now at all. And I get diamonds every year for Christmas. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you find this man? <laughs> <laughs> it's just pure intention. <laughs> oh, that's so funny! Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you guys have quite an arrangement here, and yeah. uh, and he likes quilts. I mean, what more could you ask for? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and he gets his little perks. You know, he has. Yeah, well, the business is doing really well, so he he can buy pretty much whatever he wants, and there's money in the bank, so he gets his perks. Well, that's great. That's really wonderful. Yeah. And so you're you start you were doing all this quilting on an industrial machine and does it so does it, did that have a pretty a longer arm on it so you actually had space to get these quilts because you're making pretty big quilts i mean you had space right. to get right. them I, in I, i'm not sure which quilts you saw did you see the indian yes yes yeah. my goodness yeah. yes that is and just the girl yes i've seen all those quilts and i'm just like astounded that because I and mean, you were doing that on a little machine like yep. i mean I, well it's an industrial but you couldn't see the whole thing to do that yep. Yep. oh my goodness so would you like, like everything that's on the website is it has been done other than the latest um latest few that have won the really big awards were done um on the domestic sewing machine or my you know my just my stable machine okay not, not the so how were you able to accomplish just such dramatic effect without having the long i mean because did would you stop and like stop quilting and then take a, unroll it all and look at what you're doing or I, I'm just, no. again, I'm just totally lost for how you can. Do, I mean. yeah. it, it's totally an intuitive thing. It's I really get to the point. It's almost um, I don't want to use the word channeled, but it it goes through me. It isn't me. You just kind of get in the zone and you just go. Yeah, it's just exactly what it is. It's just like an artist when they're painting. You know, they just lock everything else out and it just goes through. through their art goes through them. Yeah. Now with the um, the quilts that have the the. The people, the faces, like the the there's one the Native American man I'm thinking of, and then um, and that since I haven't seen it in person, um, did you piece the you pieced it together, and then this so much detail comes through. Then I mean you're you're adding so much. I mean it really comes to life with this top the stitching that you're doing the quilting effect. Um, now when you design, um, it must be challenging to kind of picture this thing of how it's going to look in the end when there's because you, when you piece it, you're, you're not getting the effect that you get when it's, you know, you're you're almost like painting on top of it with your sewing machine, you know. Well, now, now that one was actually painted like a mural. Okay, that was painted like a mural. Okay. Okay, and then yeah. you just went in with the top stitching and filled right. in. How do you know when enough is enough when it comes to the top when, st- st- the stitching? When my soul says enough. Okay. Yeah. So you there's, just kind of go into point that there the joy stops. And that's when I stop. Okay. So you're like, okay, I'm done with this one. Yeah. Well, I'm done with this area. <laughs> then you move on to the next area. Yeah. Yeah. And so how many hours have you put into, I mean, on average, do you put into a single quilt? 
Well, when I got the long arm, the hours increased. And my latest piece is the one that I just finished that got its master's award. I don't know if you knew about that. I was, like, lost in the whole list here of awards. It's, it's Unfortunately, <laughs> well, they, like, they overwhelmed me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is actually an NQA, which is the National uh, Association, which they, they train judges. Oh, wow. It's really a huge award. So is that like the Academy Awards of Quilting Awards? I mean, is that I, like... I think it's a Lifetime Award is what it is. Wow. The um, other shows are like the Academy Awards. Okay. But that, that's a Lifetime that's Achievement. That's like the Lifetime Achievement. Okay, standing ovation at the end of the, the awards yeah. program. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. And and you just won that. How recently did you win that? Um, just about two months ago, I think. Wow. I, I'm not sure on the date. Has your life changed a great deal since then? No. No. <laughs> no. No one's picking you up in a limo and taking you to the fabric store or anything? Oh, heck no. No, I wouldn't want that. No. No, I still wear my T-shirts and my jeans and, you know, I'm, no. What was that like to 10 years in to this quilting? I mean, uh-huh. you're, you're getting a lifetime, uh, this award that people work their entire career, I mean, entire career as quilters and, yeah. and maybe never achieve that. And you've done that in, inside of a decade. Um well, you know, that's not why I did it. Um, it. Really, honestly, the reason that I kept going in the tough times is that I'm such a natural-born teacher that my students and my techniques and, you know, teaching them my techniques is what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. So all of these awards just back it up so that my students know that I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so for you, it's not really about the awards at all? No, no. My husband, it's about the awards the the reason that the master's award is so so incredibly important to me is that in the quilt that I did I have all my techniques in it and they were impressed and they understood the quality of the work from the techniques how many techniques have you developed on your own um about 8 i think seven or eight, something in that area. Okay, and these range from, uh, for the folks at home who might not be aware of your your whole, um, sco- is it like it, basically a whole curriculum here, it sounds like, that you have. I saw both of your, your websites, and you have one oh. that you have one that people, as a paid service that people can get into? Right. Okay. And There's that, a bunch of free stuff in there. Okay, and that kind of sh- introduces people to your, the techniques yeah. that you teach? Yeah. And I don't. How, I don't know how many videos. I think there's like 50 videos on the techniques. Wow. The different things that I've done. And now, are those free, or do people pay for those? There, there are the advanced ones that they pay for, but there's about 50 or so that are absolutely free. Oh wow, that's really yeah, generous. Well, yeah. Well, you always give back. I, I like to look at creativity. It's like if, if I don't give it, give, within that creative world. I get creatively constipated, so I just don't want to go there. <laughs> so I've, I've got it, it, every time I give one, I get three or four more. Wow! So it's, it's a very it's you know it's a flow thing. That's great. So you've been able to um, reach people. Is that how you do most of your teaching? It sounds like you obviously you travel. You're going to be in Grand Rapids soon for to do some workshops here. But do you do a lot of your, your teaching um, just through the videos that you're doing, and people can watch those and subscribe to the service online? Well, I, you know, they work together. I actually teach somewhere between 40 and 45 different venues a year. Wow. 
so the majority of my work is is actually on the road. Um, we just brought the the other network online just about a year ago. Okay. Because there, there was so much that the students needed to know that there was just no way that they could take all the classes and I couldn't reach people correctly. So um, we brought, you know, I've been trying to work on that video thing for five years, trying to get a, a, a site going for that. And my son and I actually were able to put that together. That dream came together about a year ago. Well, that's great. And then people can pause and go back to the beginning if they need to. And right. Um, right. they don't need you to live in their house, you know, right. <laughs> to show well, them what to do. When I teach classes, they also get a video with the class. Oh. So when they go home, they actually have that class on a video. Oh, wow. So so that's part of your, your thing. You come right. into the class and there's a video made of the class. Right. Wow. And so who does all these videos for you? My son does. The recording is done of the project for the class. Oh, okay. In advance in the yeah. studio. Okay. That's wonderful. So people get the tape, you know, a recording of a video of the, what they what should they learn to make. So if it's not clear to them, right. that happens too. You're introduced to new techniques and you, it makes perfect sense in the class while it's being demonstrated. Then you go home by yourself right. at 3 a.m. and you have to make your quilt and you realize, I cannot remember anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. not. Well, yeah. and you know, when there's so much energy just spewing about, you know, 20 people, you're picking up on all sorts of stuff. And when you get home, most people that are creative need to be in the right brain. Right. Um, and when they're in the right brain, they can pick up on things much easier. And they can't really be in the right brain with a lot of other people all around them if they're in the creative process. Right. So they can be exposed to it, but they really can't learn from it. So the videos make that happen for them. And I also shoot the videos in a first-person place. So they never really see me. They just see the process. I did notice that, that you're kind of, it's yeah. kind of an over-the-shoulder thing. Um, right. And that seems to work. Um, I know I, I've only done one video, and I shot – I did a knitting video, and I actually had a woman demonstrating two different techniques. I shot it over her shoulder. And I can't believe how people respond. People responded really well to that because they're like, this is great. It's it's what I see when I pick up my needles, you know. Right. And what you did is what people see when they're sitting down at their machine. And that is Absolutely. so much better than um, having the camera on the person and you're talking right. to the camera. I mean, I'm sure people would love to have feel like they're having a conversation with you looking at them. However, uh-huh. I think as far as the art is concerned and the instructional value of it, um, it's wonderful. So that's a great approach. So it sounds like you've thought of everything here. So a workshop is not, <laughs> not just, sure. <laughs> well, a workshop is just not like people come in yeah. and you teach, they go home. I mean, they're going home with something that they can, can that will continue to be helpful to them beyond your meeting. Right. So that's wonderful. Well, what, what also is really important is the creative process is totally done in the right brain. And if you, as a teacher, I as a teacher, if I go in and make people uncomfortable um, by trying to just talk to them about this or you have to do that or whatever, you have to make them feel comfortable and safe and they're going to get their money's worth. Once that's done, then they can learn much faster and the only way to do that in a creative process is to actually do it with a video so that when they go home they have everything they need so they can relax Mm -hmm. so you tell them right at the beginning you're going to get a video absolutely okay so that kind of puts them at ease also um the videos are shot in the first person and the reason why people respond to that is that creativity like i said is in the right brain 
Well, if they're looking at a video, their subconscious or their um, that creative side actually thinks they're doing the work. Oh, inter- so interesting. It's, it's very much a psychological thing. And so when they're looking at it, they're not being entertained. When you shoot from the front, the person is being entertained. Right. When you shoot from the rear, they're being taught two different things. Interesting. So have you done research on that, or did you just come to appreciate that on your own? Or Well, I mean, when I had my factory, the only way that I could teach people how to do the processes were to have them stand behind me to watch it. If they stood in front of me and watched the process, they got it in reverse. So when I taught my employees, they always learned from behind. Okay. And so, and, and I actually hired people that really didn't speak English. So I had to go directly to their creative side because we couldn't, we had a language barrier. Oh, wow. So what does communicate is the actual creative process. No matter what language it is, the creative process communicates. So it's interesting how that business really prepared you very well to do what you're doing now. Absolutely. Yeah, because you're using so much from that. How many employees did you have when you were doing the, the, uh, when you had your business with the dressmaking? I had 120. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot yeah, of teaching was, that you were doing. It was big. Yeah, yeah. my goodness. Wow. And so now um, so now this is a change for you to have a small business. But you're, yes. reach, you're reaching it's a lot. intentional. Lo- yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you found the perfect size business to have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It works out really well, really well. Is it a fight almost, though, to keep it small? Because with the success you've had making quilts, and I'm sure the demand... Well, I know the demand for you to come to, I know Grand Rapids, they're very, very excited to have you, um, co- you know, coming to town. Um, the demand is probably much greater than what you can meet as one person. Um, how do you, you know, how do you kind of say, okay, you know what, I want to make sure, I want to, it's great to be working, great to be traveling, but how do you kind of try to strike a balance with um, uh-huh. making sure you have time for you and for your own creativity? Well, there's a lot of things because of the techniques that I use. There's a lot of stuff that I can do on the road. Okay. So that helps. But most people are really, really backwards in the thought of the creativity. And what I re- when I'm at home, I am so focused. I don't even have a phone down in my studio. It's I'm here. I don't answer emails. I don't do any of that other stuff. I'm here to be creative. When I'm on the road, I'm there to, to teach. But also what is really important for people to understand is that, first and foremost, I am a teacher. That is what fills my soul. I quilt for entertainment. I don't quilt to fill my soul. I teach to fill my soul. Two different worlds. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that same agony, although I do go off balance if I don't quilt enough, but I don't have the agony that everybody thinks that you would have by not having creative time. Because it sounds like your teaching is what you love. That's what you, so it it sounds like you wouldn't want to have six months off a year and not teach. No, I no, I I would just die without the teaching. Yeah. So teaching's what I love, and that's what I'm meant to do. I've been given the techniques to teach them, not just for me to be selfish with them. So, so how, but I've always been a teacher. Always. always. How long were you um, before you started? I mean, how long after you got into quilting did you? How, or I guess how soon were you out teaching some of the things you developed? It was the first year. Wow. And so you yeah, started right with away. started locally, or did you start traveling right away? Well, I tried. I tried locally, but you know that just it just didn't didn't work well. 
what would happen is my quilts would go to a show and they'd win in the show and then the show would get me to come out or the local guild. So it just kind of was that kind of a situation. Okay, so they'd see your quilts and say, okay, this lady knows her stuff. We're going to have her come out. Right. Okay. And that just kind so of... So the t- quilts were used more as, as advertising. Okay. Well, that's the best kind. You know, yeah. Have yeah. Blue ribbon advertising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... And it's still, it's still the same today. Still the same. So how many how many quilts are you making a year on average? Um, I do a lot of small things for classes and stuff, so I don't even count those. But I try to do at least two competition level quilts a year. And for those of I, I have never um, done a competition quilt. What is what what is the criteria for a competition quilt? What is it? What is required? Well, there isn't really any requirements. Um, I have my own personal requirements. Okay. And they're much higher than the normal person. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I believe for a competition piece for myself, and this isn't always true, but no less than 800 hours just in the quilting process. My goodness. Wait, in the quil- just the quilting part? You're not talking just piecing or anything else, just quilting? Right. Wow. And just, pu- just putting the binding on some of mine takes 40 to 50 hours. My goodness. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I get phone calls from quilters from all over the world now, and they say, well, I put, you know, 80 to 100 hours in the quilting process, and, and I'm thinking, oh, goodness, girl. <laughs> you know. Times 10, and you're going to be all set. <laughs> well, and, and not that that's a bad thing, but the point is, is that, when when it's measured like that, then the creative stuff can't happen. And you've got to be able to just say to yourself, it, it takes as much time as it takes. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. Because you're not saying, okay, i got 10 more hours and this is going to be done. Right, right. And I don't even keep track. The only way that I would even know how many hours is my husband keeps track. Oh, he keeps track. Okay. Well, it sounds yeah, like he's he kind of your stat guy. Almost right. like it's a baseball card, and he's he knows what your average is. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming he sent you the the winners list. So, um, I actually saw it on the web. I didn't. Oh, well, unless, oh, I, I didn't know it was even up. So, yeah, I'm, I did see uh, I did see something on the web with your um, your awards, which is really quite oh. impressive because they're it's a very long list, and oh. um, it looks like a lifetime of quilting, not a, t- a decade of quilting. So, yeah. at what point did you realize? yourself that wow I, I'm really good at this I mean because I think you know you know you can enter a competition and you can never uh-huh. really enjoy doing something but to have this point of realization that wow this is really this is really cool you know did you have that well, point yeah you know I, I think not to be too esoteric but I knew I could do it before I even did anything okay so you just knew that you had this in you right the um the real answer to your question though is when I did the Spirit of Mother Earth, I don't know if you've seen that quilt. Um, I have, and that's um, yeah. I want to is that that's the red one. Is that the, the red and black? Yeah, yeah red and black, brown. beautiful quilt. When I did that quilt, there was some sort of fulfilling thing that happened for me that I've never experienced before. It was such a spiritual piece for me that I think your question is: is when did I know that I could do it? And I think, of course. There's never an end to what can be done. Right. But when I knew that there was a, that fulfilling point, you know, that, that place where I felt fulfilled inside my creative spirit was when 
the spirit of Mother Earth was done. Okay. So you're, yeah. that was a point for you. And how long ago was that? That was just recent. Um, it was, I think it's about six months old now. Yeah, something along that line. It might not even be that much. Um, but now what's happening is that there's another another piece in my brain that just is haunting me that is totally different than anything else I've ever done. So, you know, once one's done, another one pops in, or another can. Wow. Know? Well, what is your process like? Uh, if you take me like okay for the piece you, that's popping and it's like haunting you right now. Do you uh-huh. do you sketch out some designs or do you just kind of walk around with this image in your head for a while and kind of think about it and then start putting right. fabric together? Tell me how you go about creating a quilt. Well, when I'm working on truly a masterpiece, it, how it really shows up on occasion it'll show up in a dream, but very seldom. Uh, what happens is when I'm quilting. Some little thing in, a, in whatever I'm working on will just spark this, this I don't know, fireworks or something. And it, it will have to haunt me for six months or so before I even start sketching. Because I want to let my creative brain, my right brain, do all the work. So it's not ready yet. It's still incubating. And I, it, the only quilts that I do are the ones that haunt me, that actually yell at me and say, I have to be made. Wow. The other ones are just, I will, I actually have full, um, cause I use Adobe Illustrator on the computer and I have full quilts completely done with all of the pattern and everything. But if they don't haunt me or, or if they're not there for, you know, in my consciousness, I don't even start on them. And they're totally designed. I mean, down to the smallest detail in Adobe Illustrator prior to even touching a piece of fabric. Wow. And then do you make patterns for, like, for the pieces? For each piece, do you print something out? Or are you just... Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so you're able to do that. And does that require some giant size printer or you're just piecing? Or... Yeah, we have a we have a 24-inch printer that runs um, Banner. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're able to do that. And then, um, wow. And then so from there... From the point of, you know, you're actually have designed something, and I'm assuming several hours go into that process with Adobe. There is probably anywhere from 60 to 100 hours just in the design process. Okay. And then what do you do next? Um, then I hand dye all the fabrics. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about the hand dyeing. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to increase the degree of difficulty just a, a notch. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, just a little. Just a little. And just throwing a little hand dyeing. Yeah, for for one quilt, I will probably hand dye fifty to sixty yards of fabric. My goodness! And how much do you actually need for the quilt? Um, well, I'll use probably half that, but I want to make sure that I have more than enough. Right, because you're not going to be able to get that exact color. Maybe not. Right. You know. Okay. Well, you'll. Ne- I'll never get that color again because everything I dye is intuitive. I just dump. Okay. Okay. So you will never get that again. <laughs> no, I will never get it again. <laughs> and another way to increase the degree of difficulty. My goodness. Yes. If you were an Olympic diver, man, <laughs> your, your starting score would be scary high. My goodness. Okay. So yeah. so the, after the hand dyeing is done, uh-huh. what, what is next? Well, then, of course, I just get started on okay. the quilt. I, I will start with the... The basic concept, I, I, I figure out the size because in the Illustrator I can adjust the size. Figure out the size, 
Um, and that really makes a big difference in the spaces that are available for the quilting process. My main focus is the quilting process at this point because all the design's done. So I will print and print and print until I get just the right size for that perfect feather in that perfect space. And once that's done, then I just I dig right in and start doing it. If it needs applique or piecing or whatever it needs, I, I start cutting fabric up. And so color, I'm curious about your color. Since you're hand dyeing all your fabric, but you've already decided on colors when you're in the design process, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So since you can't, um, so I guess you're you're kind of going, you're able to say, okay, I need kind of a red or I need a blue, and you just kind of pour until you get the color you want. Is that kind of how you do this then? Well, you know, I'm I'm a little bit different with color because I feel color. I don't really see it. Okay. So. It's totally a feeling. If, um, when I'm designing the, the quilt, at the end, I will actually make 10 or 12 different colorways. Okay. And I'll play play with that and, you know, maybe put them on, on the screen and flick off and on from one or, or the other that I like. Okay, and see and which the one. the one that resonates, the one that I get the feeling for, whether or not it's something that I like or not, it doesn't matter, but the one that resonates wow. with me, yeah. um, then, then I go to the dyeing process. And I'm not sure why, but the literally the dyeing always ends up pretty close to the colors that I've chosen in the in the um, when it's in the Illustrator wow. format. Well, that's yeah. a gift, I would say, because I think I'm people... not sure what it is. But... <laughs> well, it's working for you. So yeah, who are we to question it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to question it. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. So you're. It sounds like how fun too. To... You know, days are fun. And um, there are times when I do get a little frustrated, but usually that just means my my um, rubber band has just been pulled tight, and I know the next day the breakthrough is going to happen. So yeah. It, it is a lot of fun. It, it's still, it, you know, it's not, how do I put this? Um, it, it's intense, and it's concentrated, and it's absolute joy, but it isn't like I'm, you know, skipping rope by any means. But. Right. Well, it's work. I mean, yeah. I think when you're in the process of something, uh, it's no, joyful work. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think, yeah, anything, um, that we do, even if we really love what we're doing, there are points where it's not the yeah. great fun to be, you know, skipping a route here. So you're to, <laughs> to hand dye 50 to 60 yards. How many days do you spend on that? I will spend hand dyeing maybe four, four days. Four days. Okay. Yeah. And then the pressing's another story. Oh yeah, the pressing, of course, because you're not getting crisp fabric from the store. No. But are you a um, pre-wash quilter? Yes. You kind of have to with the hand dyeing. Well, uh, even if I weren't. Yeah, because I always pre-wash everything, and it makes for a, just a, a mess of you know I have all this wrinkled fabric I have to then press. But that's the only kind of ironing I like to do. In fact, it's the only ironing yeah. I really do. I wear wrinkled clothes, but my quilt fabric must be pressed. Yeah. I so. agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then you spend, you got to press all the fabric, and then you get started with just kind of seeing where everything leads you after you've decided. Because that, by that time, you have your colorway and you're you're ready to go. Well, there's no more decisions to be made. The design's done. The size is done. The fabric is done. Now the mass production can happen, and that's when I have joy. Okay. That's when there's absolute pure joy because I'll sit there and I, I know how much I can get done in a day and I will just keep pushing myself and I do my production work, which is 
from the factory. I, I really understand how to produce. And so that I'll just... have like stacks and stacks all over the place of this, that, and the other thing, and then they all come together as one piece. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. great. So it sounds like you approach this in a very manageable way. Because when people look at your quilts, I mean, my response when I look at your quilts is like, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I'm just kind of like, wow, this is so huge. This is magnificent. And uh-huh. where would I start? You know, and I think the fact that you're able to break it down and in your previous business, I mean, a wedding dress is no joke. I mean, that's some serious, it's like only the biggest day of a person's life among one of the many, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's a dress for a serious occasion and it's, they're beautiful and, and complicated and you mass produce yeah. those. So clearly, you know, that was a great training ground for you. Absolutely. And I think the key is, is that I, you know, I know that some people design on the wing, uh, but the key for me is to, I design uh, a bit that way, but I, I leave space for creativity, but in most cases I design and get all of the decisions made. So once those decisions are made, the creativity can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always leave room for that. So if something just doesn't look right, you know, there's always ways around it. Well, and I think one of the, the approach you take is interesting in that you don't have to stop the flow of creativity. Because I know when I, I tend to design kind of on a on a whim. But what's yeah. happening, though, I make a 10-inch art quilt every month, and I'm trying to hold myself to this. What I'm finding uh-huh. is that... If I don't, I don't make the decisions all up front. And so what happens is I'll get going on something and you have this hand stitch, stitching that you can kind of get lost in. And then all of a sudden, oh, I have to make a decision about the next element. And it kind of interrupts things. It interrupts the flow. And I think that which I think that's fascinating. That, and it makes sense, you know, looking at the pieces that you've made all the decisions and then you can kind of get just lost in the, the joy of putting it together. You know, right. well, so when you start, you get it all pieced, you're ready to start quilting. It sounds like you're not even halfway done at that point. Is that accurate? Because you're spending like eight eight hundred hours then. Right. Uh, <laughs> so so for you, for a lot of quilters, that's where they stop. <laughs> They're like, that's, okay, that's, I'm done. <laughs> well, the thing that happens though is that the spirit of the piece, and if I'm sure that you're gonna, when I teach out there, you're going to come and visit, aren't you? I will visit for sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the spirit of the piece doesn't happen until the quilting is done. So you can have the shell of the person, but right. until there's the spirit, they're not they're not a person. You right. know what I'm saying? Well, and it's and not I'm, defined, and it's not it's just not complete. It it there's just no spirit to it. It might be a great piece, but the spirit isn't there. And there's the magic happens when the quilting process is happening. That's the magic. Yeah, and you so, were I mean, and you were working that magic on a small machine. Making award-winning quilts. Unfortunately, the only bad part about hearing that is uh, the quilters out there that don't want their spouses or significant others to realize that it's 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 actually possible to win awards without a big long arm quilting machine. We'll just have to keep that part on the down low. <laughs> it gives everybody hope that doesn't have a long arm machine, but it is well, kind the, of a... The thing, though, to remember with the long arm <laughs> is that if you do it on a domestic machine, it is so hard on your body that you hurt so bad you can't be creative. Yeah, I had a yeah. I just did my first uh, free motion quilting. You know, I I made a quilt with my daughter and we collaborated uh-huh. on this thing. And I could not believe, you know. And I had just done this massive like transformation, trained for a marathon, did all this stuff, right. worked out really hard. My body, I don't think my back has ever hurt as bad as it did when I did this quilt. And I'm thinking, good, oh goodness, it was it, at least it was small, but I couldn't believe it. And I so I my hats off to all the quilters that are making 
massively large. I mean, you, my goodness. I mean, what did you do for back pain? I mean, did you have to, did you have to like go for a massage or something to do? I mean, if you're putting 800 hours in. (laughs) Well, I have a jacuzzi, so that helps. Okay. I got that last year and that really helps. But I think the back pain comes from the resistance of not knowing where you're going. Oh, just, yeah, I was rather tense because I was like, man, I'm going really fast and I don't know what I'm doing right here, you know. Right. Um, (laughs) I don't think the pain is there when you get a little bit better Well, that's a good. I'm glad to hear that because I was thinking, geez, I'm going to be hunched over in like two more quilts. (laughs) And it's more like a dance than, and more, more really an intimate thing um, when you know where you're going. Well, so when you're, when you're doing, when you're quilting these quilts, do you decide, I had, because when you say you made all the decisions, have you also decided where all that top stitching is going? Um, Have you made, do you have a a pattern in your head of what you're going to do and all that, all the free spaces? Well, it depends on the piece. In my, in uh, in the competition pieces, I like to plan just a little bit, but I'll plan basic areas that need feathers and basic areas that that need the background fills or the you know those the real intricate stuff. Okay. And I plan the basic areas for the feathers because they need to be symmetrical or they need to fill a certain area properly, and they need to fill it balanced. So that is planned, but all the other stuff is not. And so you do leave yourself some to just get caught up in the quilting and go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds, I mean, whatever, I mean, you have a system that definitely works for you, and you don't need me to tell you that because you have a whole list of awards there to prove (laughs) that you have really found your niche. And that must feel great to just, you know, be able to come into a town and, and just have these quilters just so excited to see you and in such awe of your work. Is that, but is that also in, in some respects um, kind of odd? Because I get a sense from you that you're, you see yourself as being very down to earth. You don't have a rock star attitude at all about what you're doing. Oh, no. So is it, what is that like when you have people that are just so excited? I mean, I hear that people are driving from other states to get here. Oh, to really? see, I don't know if this happens in every city, but I mean, this is really incredible, and that's really great. It's a real compliment to to you and your achievements. But what is it like to be in your shoes, though, and have that kind of elicit that kind of response from people? Well, they're just my friends. Even yeah, they're just friends that I haven't met yet. Oh, but, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't consider them any different than I am. I just I, I've just been able to tap into techniques and the source, and I share everything. I have. You know, for me, it's just as, I'm just excite, as excited as they are. So, you know, they they bring joy to my life. So it has nothing to do with me, really. Yeah. You know, I just purely enjoy meeting people. And what I enjoy the most is seeing their eyes when the lights go on. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it, it, it just, and they know it. And when they come in the class, they see how much I love it and how much I love the work of teaching. So they know, you know, and it's not about me being separate whatsoever. You know, it's it's about us being together as, as you know, and breathing spirit into our creation. That's all it's about. Well, I think that's the best kind of attitude to have, too, about what you're doing, because it, it if you see yourself as being part of the process with them and the learning, like everybody's learning, you are always open to your own, I mean, to have creativity and new ideas come to you. And it sounds like they do come to you all the time, these ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So are you one of the people that jumps out of bed at night and has an idea that they have to sketch out? Oh, or? my 
Oh, yeah, I had one that came to me in a dream, and I thought, I don't know if you know what lucid dreams are. Yeah, yeah. It's like really vivid lucid dreams, which is just amazing, and it was this purple and yellow piece that was just incredible. So, you know, and, and that kind of stuff only comes when you're in joy and when you have fun and when you're doing it for other purposes than your own. Right. Grandeur, whatever that is. I'm not sure what that is, but... <laughs> You know. So what do you plan to do next besides come to Grand Rapids and teach some quilters how to how to do some cool stuff? Well, right now I'm working on a uh, Baltimore album quilt that um, actually is a gift. Uh, my quilting's a gift, not the, the actual quilt. It was an old friend of mine. And the joy of finishing that and making sure she gets it, I'm about three days out. So that's the next thing I'm working on. But I'm also in the right in the middle of an incredible quilt that has um, some different techniques on it that I want to finish up, and then also there's another one that's that the one that's festering in my mind. Okay, so it sounds like you always have multiple things going. Uh, seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to live. <laughs> I, I think so. But, you know, sometimes you're just stupid some of those days. Have you, do you ever have those days? Oh, I have days where I, I, I feel like, man, I'm really busy. i got a lot to do. I got a lot, I've done a lot. And then I realize I haven't accomplished a single thing. But... <laughs> well, I have, the, I have the kind of days that I'm just, I, I'm just numb. And there's certain things that you can do on those days that keep your product, productivity. That is true. Yes, I have days so where I, I can't have... write at all, but I can stitch, no problem. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I have things in different level so if I'm in one of those dumb days I will just turn edges on my applique so that you know I'm still working towards a goal right but you're not having to make some big design decision no right and you need those days to get grounded it's very important to stay grounded when you're so into the right brain and those are so so important and those that's the time when you're healing or resting but you can still produce there's no need to just stop and just veg. It's not necessary. The vegging just, uh, you know, it's not necessary. But So what has this, I mean, you talk about the joy. Many times you've said the joy of, of quilting. And what what do you think um, for you, what does this do just as far as your life, the, you know, your life is concerned? I mean, what does quilting mean to you? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's a venue for me to teach. Um, I, I look at quilters, we're probably the largest organization of women that there is in the world. And with us coming together with one goal, whether or not it's quilting or buying fabric or whatever it is, um, you know, we, we are united in, in that creation, just mm-hmm. creating. And anything positive like that is good, anything positive. And I think it's wonderful when people can find that in their own life. It's not quilting for everybody, but I think that we all have to keep searching for that. If you haven't found it yet, that thing that makes you feel so happy that you can do that. I mean, I think everybody has that thing they can do, and it's just sometimes a challenge to to figure it out. But once they do, I mean, to hear people like you talk about what you're doing, I think it's really wonderful and hopefully inspiring to those folks who might have encountered some challenges or... Um, maybe a lot of people describe it, say, you know, I'm just not creative or, and that's, you know, we all can be creative and you just have to find the right avenue and the right medium to work in. And then you're all well, set. Well, that, that 
thing about not being creative, <laughs> you know, my opinion is we all are so creative. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have lost touch of the creative process. And what do you and think we can do to get that back just as a society? I think they have to be loved first. I think they have to be uh, feel safe. I don't think you can make anybody do anything. But in an environment that they feel safe and loved, that creativity just blossoms. Mm-hmm. You know, right, because um, if you're not comfortable, just like in your class, you can't learn, but you also can't make art, really, you know, if you're not comfortable. And, yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I guess the... the um, when people report that there's a lack of creativity, there might be some other things going on. I personally think so, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> usually that's their mother's talking or their father's talking. That's yeah. Not them. yeah. They wouldn't be drawn to the quilting process or any creative process if they weren't creative. So I, I, don't, I don't buy into it. Yeah. I think that technique um, and planning a little bit gives you the venue to be cre- truly creative and inspired. Yeah, you just got to get out there and try some things. And not be judged. Yeah. You know, that judging thing is what really, really hurts most people in the creative process. Even if people just buy fabric, that's a creative process. Right, because you have to make color selections. from the color. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there are people I hear that say they buy fabric that they think is just too beautiful to cut up. And I actually have... Why am I saying people? I'm saying I'm talking as if I'm not one of these people. I have some fabric that's sitting there, and I'm just like, wow, that's so great. And it, until I, you know, it occurs to me the right thing, the right project, I'm gonna just enjoy it as it is, the yard or two sitting there, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a creative process. I mean, I love to see inspiring prints, and even if they're not doing anything, you know. But yeah, well, the way the colors are combined, and that piece of fabric maybe not for you to actually do anything with. It might be a hundred years from now somebody to do something with. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah. I mean, guilt guilt is the worst worst thing that people can do to stay creative is to be in guilt about UFOs or anything else. Right, you just have to kind of take it all, you know, and and uh, yeah, the judgment. Like- I think we're all like probably the worst judges of ourselves, you know, I mean, it's just like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but yeah. it's, um, I'm glad, so glad that you're out there writing such a positive message to the world. That's really wonderful. <laughs> well, there's, there's no other message that's worthwhile. Quite <laughs> yeah. Something tells me they wouldn't call you back. They wouldn't, uh, the word would get around, you know, <laughs> don't have her come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No people. <laughs> yeah. I think a positive message probably is a good move <laughs> to come to town with a positive message. Um, yes, absolutely. Now, if people want to know more, about you and everything you're doing. I know your websites are pretty comprehensive with workshop information, products, and uh-huh. things they can do. What are the main things, just to make sure that we've hit all the things that you, uh, that people can actually, they can take workshops from you because you're doing a lot of teaching. Uh-huh. As far as videos go, do you have those available for purchase if people aren't able yes. to go to a workshop? Uh-huh. Okay, that's all on your website. What right. else can people purchase? I think I saw something about patterns. Um, yeah, I have, I have patterns. I have... Um... You know, all of the uh, pretty much everything that you would need to do a quilt. Okay. Do you sell fabric as well? I don't. I tried that, and it was too labor intensive. So okay. I don't, I don't have fabric. I wish it was. It was wonderful, but. Yeah, I'd like to sell fabric only because I'd want to be able to see all the fabric. <laughs> I probably wouldn't sell it. I'd probably just keep it, and then yeah, yeah I'd have a lot of explaining yeah. to do to my husband. Uh, <laughs> that's not really moving. It's like, oh, that's okay, you know. 
Yeah. 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 So, I'm just enjoying. <laughs> I'm just like sales are down, but I sure am happy. Having <laughs> a good time. <laughs> Look at all this fabric. Yeah, I could. I I could I actually just said to him, I'm like, you know, I think I'd really like to sell fabric online, and he just looked at me like I was insane. And now that he hears, if he hears this, it's never. <laughs> Yeah, I you know could... what? I I I see that in your future. Uh, don't reinforce do. this. <laughs> yeah, I think you could probably do really well with it. I'll be like an expert. Backed me up. You know, this is really yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we all know our weaknesses, though, and I think fabric. Well, but your weaknesses are your strengths. So That's if, you're, true. if you if you have a a something that makes you your heart just sing, that's where you should go. Yeah. You well, know, it's settled it, then. I'm going to go downstairs and tell my husband that we're going to order an endless supply of bolts of fabric. We could turn our heat off because we're going to insulate our house with fabric. Um, there it's going to be go. great. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. excellent. Get only the stuff you really like. Yeah, <laughs> only the really expensive yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so, all of the boutiques. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you thought about designing your own fabric and selling it? Do you, you do know, that I already? Have, I have. I have. But I came from the garment industry. I know what it's like to mass produce. And, you know, the thing is, is I, I, I would be really strict with the manufacturer. I would love to do it, but I have not been asked because they know somehow that I would be very strict with it. So, you know, at some point, that's going to happen. I think it I'm is cool. going to happen because you already have this understanding just when you described your process of creating you're creating your own fabric for your quilts and i think that's actually really wonderful because i'm actually going to be working on an apron just a simple apron tonight Uh and i that's kind of one of my things i wear aprons all over the place which is kind of obnoxious but you know whatever i I guess it's better than you know blowing secondhand smoke into somebody's face or something i mean there could be worse things i could be doing but anyway Uh when i look at when i go to make something sometimes i don't want to use that beautiful print that everyone else is wearing around town or everyone else is hanging these curtains because it's this very popular designer's fabric. Um, I think it's kind of cool when you take a piece of fabric and stamp, you know, make your own, get your ink out and create your own fabric and maybe embroider it or embellish it in some way that's not recognizable. And it sounds like, I mean, that's really one of your trademarks too, is that you're creating your own fabric, but not every quilter wants to do that. They want to go buy the beautiful fabric and I'm sure people just could, I mean, they'd be, really jump in to get your fabric so yeah i think it'd be a a hot seller so if there's any uh fabric design companies out there they might want to call you up because i think it would be a a sure thing to sell i don't know how many more times you have to win uh major awards to have this occur to people but um (laughs) well you know what i've found is that the people in that industry don't really understand the the award thing so, yeah. Well, they probably so. don't understand your process either because a lot of people can win quilting awards. Not everyone's hand eyeing their fabric, you know, right. that's in the competition. Uh, second place person, you know, maybe did not do all the hand dyeing or maybe 800 hours of uh, quilting, you right. know. So. I think sometimes people look at quilts and they just assume, oh, this was purchased fabric or commercial fabric. And, you know, to the pedestrian, you know, walking through, maybe not a super fan of yours, because I'm sure your super fans know all, you know, they've studied out, watched every video. So it's it's a definitely a different set of information that people have. But, um, yeah, well, I, I think it's going to be really fun to uh, let me know when you come up with your first fabric line and we'll, we'll have you back on the show and we'll talk about that. And, oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. Thank you again for your generosity of time. Oh, my pleasure. Wow, isn't she great? I had a wonderful time talking to Sharon, and thanks, Sharon, for sharing your story with me. I really do appreciate it. 
and look forward to meeting you this week. I think that's going to be really fun. So I invite you to check out craftsanity.com and check out uh, the links to Sharon's work. And she has a bunch of videos and projects and just a lot of demos that are available online for free. She does have a subscription service where you can get more advanced videos and instructional materials I also wanted to just make a, a little announcement that I'm kind of in a, at a point with Craft Sanity where I'd like to provide more content online and do more with it. So I'm going to be bringing in some people to help me out a little bit with that. And I'm really calling on all of you who listen because for the most part, people listen because you know we're all crafty and into art and craft. And what I'd like to do is have more content on the website and try to create more of a destination website for art and craft news and stories and I'm big on having stories. Tutorials are great and I would love if you would want to submit tutorials to Craft Sanity because I do want to provide those but I'm also interested in hearing stories about items and hearing stories about just if you've had like a major craft screw up or you've had something that just worked beautifully or something that's been handed down. So I'm looking to just kind of gradually ramp up the amount of content on the site each day and I'm calling on, like I said, I'm calling on you folks. So if you want to get the word out, this is a great way to um, promote what you're doing, basically, because what I will do is give you a byline on whatever you submit. And then I will then link to your website or blog or whatever you're doing. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to pay. <laughs> I haven't even figured out really how to get myself paid at this point. <laughs> it's really a labor of love what I'm doing, but I, I'd love to see it grow into something that's a little bit more serious on the business side than that. So if you're interested, I'm going to be posting some submission guidelines on the web. So look for those. Basically, in a nutshell, what I'm asking is that um, I don't want you to just pull stuff off your blog that you've already written. Um, This would need to be original content, and you would maintain the rights to it. However, I'd ask that you don't post it on your blog or submit it to any other site for two months. You can be from wherever, around the globe, and in any medium. So I'm not just looking for people who are into yarn and fabric. I'm looking for people who are into all different kinds of art forms. If you have an idea, feel free to send me an email and let's get this thing started. I think this is going to be really fun. And we have a lot of exciting contest stuff underway here at Craft Sanity. I posted on the blog about some of the upcoming shows. Kate Terry's on deck. She is a talented designer who has a new book out, which we'll be talking about. Um, And then after that, I'm going to be bringing you a chat with Amy Butler and also the Double Stitch Divas. Uh, Erica and Monica Simmons um, and actually I was able to talk to one sister while the other sister was kind of in the background So, but they're both part of a, a very talented team and you'll get to hear their story soon and uh, Amy Butler did herself, we talked had a great conversation and then she follows up with sending me this massive box of just awesome stuff, copies of her latest book three stacks of fat quarters and Let's see what other goods. Oh, and, and like loads. I'm talking loads of patterns. So what I'm going to do is there, there will be multiple winners for when we do this contest. So stay tuned because that's coming up in a couple, uh, about two to three weeks. That's pretty exciting. Uh, we have um, openings to sponsor some of these upcoming shows. So feel free to go to the sponsors page if you're interested in that. That's how you can get involved. Also check back for, um, there's a current contest going on. You can get a chance to win a fat quarter from So Betty. We have a great posting going on with people leaving comments about um, to enter the contest, you have to suggest 
what kind of print, what kind of fabric you'd like to see to upholster a couch? Because the So Betty team would love to start producing fabric to cover couches. And I think it's so great. And I love, I mean, the, the ideas have been great. And I just chuckle because I'm like, man, that would be so cool to have a couch that had, you know, typewriters on it or whatever. I mean, the ideas are really great. So if you have um, an idea and you want to get into the contest, this is great fabric because it's limited edition fabric. So you're going to get in the contest to win a very, very special piece of fabric. Head over there to craftsanity.com and just leave your comment below the contest for episode 85. So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do a brief after show. So those of you who want to break away, feel free. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I'll be back soon. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. Okay, um, I just wanted to talk about Renegade since uh, it's my first show that I've recorded since Renegade, and that was um, in Chicago more, a little more than a week, just over a week ago, and uh, went down with my friends Gary and Tammy and uh, Tammy's friend Julie, and they were kind enough to go with me. You know, they were great about helping me, you know, get the word out about Craft Sanity, and I was so happy to, even though it was raining, like pouring, and I looked kind of scary. I was wearing this apron. I had rain boots, but I left them in the car for some unexplained reason. I, I don't know why you would bring boots to a rainy event and then not wear them. I, they're cool. They're pink. I, I, I can't even explain it. I think I was too excited to just like focus on the task of trying to meet as many people as I could. And while I was down there, I did not meet all 300 vendors. At one point, I thought I was going to faint. Like I was like, I don't know if I can t- say... Hi, my name is Jennifer Ackerman Haywood one more time. I mean, I got to a point where I was like, wow, I've really talked to a lot of people. And it's hard for me to talk myself into a point where I feel like I can't talk anymore because I talk a lot. I love to talk. But, man, this really, I think I hit the the ceiling and the max when I was able to do. But I was able to meet some really fantastic people and had a great time. I even met a couple listeners who knew of Craft Sanity before I, you know, as I was telling a vendor. And so I really thought that was really exciting. So hello to all of you that I got to meet at Renegade. It was really fun. And I have tons of show ideas, tons and tons of ideas of people I can write about on my blog and possibly in my craft column too. So stay tuned for that. It's really fantastic. I recommend the show, highly recommend it. It was just um, the quality of the the items for sale was was high and I really was um, it pleased with the variety too. It's a great show. And so I wasn't able to meet the organizer, which hopefully next year I'll get that opportunity. But I was really impressed with the show. So kudos to the Renegade team. You guys do a great job. And, yeah, so it was really fun. And I'm glad. it's only I've been talking about going for like five years. I finally went. And that was really, really fun. Uh, you can see some pictures. I did a Flickr photo gallery that I still need to get back there and, like, identify all these photos. So I will work on that as time allows. Um, but you can see the... Flickr gallery, if you um, go to craftsanity.com and just scroll down and you can find, uh, or do a search for Renegade. It'll come up that way too. There's a little search box on there if you can't find it. But um, yeah, so check that out. 
And as, if you guys have any show ideas or comments, questions, concerns, whatever, as usual, um, feel free to send those my way. Okay, I'm going to let you get on with your, your life, and I will be back here soon with another episode of Craft Sanity.